social ladies. All the social ladies. All the social ladies. All the social ladies. All the social ladies. Hello, listeners. It's been a while. It definitely has been a while. It's been a couple weeks. I don't. It seems like much longer. Mm-hmm. It's been a wild ride. Yeah. There's a lot going on in the world right now with all the injustices we've seen against the black community, the protests that are happening. We're on our third week of demonstrations, um, and we've seen a lot of people taking a stand. We really wanted to take this time to allow for other voices to be heard and to educate ourselves on how we can be better allies. This is something that we talk about today with our guest. We're speaking with a client of ours, Essence Souffrant, who is a black woman in marketing. And she speaks to us today about some of her experiences and how she's receiving some of these messages in the media and what advice she has for brands, for corporations, for people overall to think about some of their actions and some of their words and how to make sure they are being the best allies. Yeah, and instituting change at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So we're really excited for you to hear this one. I think it was incredibly eye-opening for Michelle and I. Let's jump into it. Hi, Essence. How are you? Hi. How are you guys? We're so excited to have you today. Are you ready for the social media speed round? Yes, I am. I'm excited. All right, Michelle, kick us off. Okay, this one's easy. What is your favorite social network? Instagram. What about your go-to emoji? Oh gosh, the the dancing lady, because in my head, I feel that she's like a flare, like she's like slaying things. So <laughs> yes. I, I <laughs> That's a good one. Good answer. Yeah. How about Twitter or TikTok? I'm still a fan of Twitter because I feel like I can get late breaking news. I can mm-hmm. find what's happening. And I mean, even, you know, when I'm watching shows, um, you know, if I can follow the hashtag to kind of quickly see what people yep. are doing, that's always really good because it makes me feel like I'm watching TV with a lot of people, even if I'm just not. <laughs> what about stories or feed? I do love stories because mm-hmm. I also love stories because I feel like that gives you an opportunity to kind of see things that you wouldn't typically see in the feed. And I yep. know a lot of content creators, they put special things in stories that they don't put in the feed. So I feel like it's like almost like an all access type of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, there's like a little bit of like an exclusivity there, which is fun. Yeah. Right, right. And even me, when I'm uploading content, there's a lot of stuff that I put in my stories that I don't put in my feed. And actually, one time someone asked, they're like, you know, why don't you ever post on your feed anymore? I'm like, because I'm in the stories. So you have to get (laughs) So yeah. Okay. What Instagram ad can you not get rid of? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, (laughs) so I, I am pregnant, right, right now. So there's this pregnancy ad that pops up from a local hospital, I swear, multiple times a day. That's very specific. How do they yeah, know? It is, it is. And I mean, their targeting is on point because I am pregnant. Yeah. And yeah. I love to see the ladies, you know, belly. It's it's beautiful, but that, that's definitely it. That's the one that popped up in my head. There's a few, but I definitely <laughs> don't. <laughs> do you have a favorite meme? Ooh, a favorite meme. Um... I mean, there's always that dancing baby one that's always really funny. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Or the one with Nene Leaks from Housewives of Atlanta and mm-hmm. you know, eye rolls. That's always a good one. <laughs> She's the best. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that may be it. I mean, there's a there's always like some that you see. 
Um, and just recently, I think with um, being out for COVID, there was this meme of um, an in-store robot and it said, you know, I'm going to ha- hire this guy to watch my kids. I thought that would be <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think, yeah. Those are good. Okay. Our last one, it's 2005 and you're on MySpace. What song is playing on your profile? Oh, it was common. It was a common song. Um, <laughs> I can't remember which common song, but I know it was, common. Yeah, I was gonna say. I, it was definitely common. Like that was kind of like my go-to song at that moment on MySpace. Like I can even, you always I actually tried to find my page. Um, recently but i couldn't it's it's tough i've looked too <laughs> and you know another song that i had on my myspace page um it was um bad boy um <laughs> vanity king so remember he had yeah oh, the band. oh my god the band, yeah. the band. Yep. that was that was definitely one of my songs show stopping yeah. show show stopping <laughs> yeah, i love it so much i love it so much. oh my goodness okay let's get into the meat and potatoes of this We know you're a marketer and a Black woman, and we know you're balancing work and motherhood and advocacy in general. If you could give our listeners a little bit more background on your career, um, how long you've been in the industry and and that type of thing, that would be great. Yeah, so I've had an interesting career. So, um, and when I graduated, um, it was, you know, that same time period, it was was literally, my last semester was when Hurricane Katrina happened. I was living in New Orleans. That's where I'm originally from. Um, So it was a very interesting time because, you know, my family, we were displaced. We, you know, we couldn't go back to our home for a little while. Um, And I was at a turning point in my life where I had to kind of make a lot of decisions, right? As you're picking up your last semester of college. And I ended up enrolling in another university in Louisiana. And while I was there, I started taking an acting class and I ended up doing some acting and modeling and commercials and stuff in Louisiana for a short time. And through that, I learned a lot of um, working on production sets. Mm -hmm. That was kind of like the start of my career. And then from there, I went on to do a number of administrative jobs just as like receptionists and assistants and, you know, just a lot of administrative uh, work. And then um, I eventually worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car where I kind of started to understand sales and marketing a little bit. Yeah. And um, I actually liked it. And so I learned a lot about the business and how they really shaped the business around keeping that customer in the car longer or make sure that they were satisfied because that's where a lot of their business really came from. And um, I eventually left that job because it was actually during the financial crisis. So it, I, the the company wasn't doing well at that time. And so, I, you know, I was working 50, 60 hours, but wasn't really getting paid for that type of work. Uh, but I, I liked mm-hmm. it. I moved up really quick. I um, applied for a master's program at Emerson that really put me into advertising and marketing, which um, over the years, I've been able to kind of take some of the skill sets that I've learned through enterprise, some of the skill sets that I learned um, working on production sets, um, I've been able to yeah. apply that to my my jobs in advertising and marketing. Because when you think about all of that, it's really all about storytelling and customer right, in right. a certain way. And I feel like it all kind of came together, even though the journey to get there was a lot of ups mm-hmm. and downs. I felt like it was a roller coaster ride, yeah. right? 
um, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of uncertainty, but it all helped me to be stronger at the work that I'm doing today and really understanding the customer mindset, understanding the storytelling piece from a marketing standpoint, um, and just being able to lead with those things first and understanding how to drive the business, mm-hmm. right? Like how do you do those things to drive right. the business? So um, that's kind of how my career started. That's how, um, I mean, a lot of the, the women we talked to have similar points that you made of these different parts of your life coming together to this point and didn't really plan for it, but it all... Yeah, it comes together. So now my my story for any young adult is, believe me, it, it all works out. It all, you know, really makes sense later on, even though it may mm-hmm. not make sense in that moment. I'm glad you brought up just in general talking about this younger generation and those entering the workforce, because one thing that Uh, we've been talking about and reading about and looking into is this idea of this next generation that will do more research on brands and the stances they take and um, care about the inclusivity practices that they take before they're purchasing. So I'm curious to hear from your perspective um, what you see for the future of these brands that take a stance and pledge to be anti-racist versus those who are being silent. Yeah. So I think this is um, an eye-opening, you know, time for brands, for brand leaders. Um, No one was prepared for this moment in history. And I think historically, a lot of organizations, you know, they always talk about diversity and inclusion. Um, But what does that really mean? Right. And I think for the first time, a lot of brand leaders are really looking at what does it mean to say that you have a diverse and inclusive workforce? Like, what does that, what does that mm-hmm. look like and feel like for your employees inside the building? What does that look like and feel like for your customers who are experiencing your brand externally? And is that real? Is it true? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you put out a survey, would, you know, two thirds of the people that you survey, would they agree that you actually do have a diverse and inclusive workforce? Um, right. And a lot of brands, and they, they have shared it transparently, um, whether it's on their websites, on their LinkedIn's, you know, on social media, they've shared it and they've said that, you know, we haven't gotten it right. And, you know, I think that they haven't gotten it right because America hasn't gotten it right. So when you think about just Black people in general, you know, we weren't even always considered an actual citizen. So as decades progress, as we progress as a country, that mindset that still lives on, but it it comes to life in different ways through organizations. So that's why you see that, you know, on many boards and on many executive and leadership teams that you may not have a Black person or any person of color, or even if there might be one or two, they may not even have the same level of influence as other people on the board or on the executive mm-hmm. team. Yeah. And I think for the first time, a lot of, a lot of companies, they're having to really sit with that and figure out, okay, this isn't good. Because I don't think that, I think in some, in some situations, there is a, a malice intent to keep certain people out of the room. But I wouldn't say that that's for all, all organizations. Um, and I, I also feel that some companies, there, there's a, a smaller company that I just recently seen, it's led by a white woman. And she transparently said that this is my company. I, I've led it from the beginning and I take full responsibility for not having 
any diverse people, you know, on my team, uh, on my executive team. Um, I take responsibility for it because it was my own unconscious bias. That's a real thing as well. Right. So I think for the first time, we have the opportunity to openly talk about it, you know, address it mm-hmm. to help people see and think about things differently. Um, and we've never had this this moment before. Right. And in addition to that, you have the Facebooks and Instagrams and, and Twitters of the world where you can also find even more news. We've never had that before. so. You know, brands really, you know, it's for the first time they're really looking at things differently um, because I do believe that, you know, we all um, experience some level of discrimination Mm -hmm. um, to some degree. But um, I think one of the bigger differences for African-Americans is that they've been experiencing discrimination for over 400 years not been made right Mm -hmm. as it has with some other cultures right like there has been some um level of making it right there has been some reparation but not for black people that that you know we never made it right um and that is the problem that we're seeing right now when you know you see cops kill and murder black men you know when they're trying to arrest them but white men could have a white man could have a gun in his hand and he's shooting back at the police but yet he doesn't get murdered, you know? And, and that is the problem right. that we're dealing with today. That's, you know, what we're working through. It's just, it's a, it's a eye-opening time. And even more so, I think this is why, you know, I'm grateful to be um, at the place that I am in my life, just as a, as a whole woman yeah. to share my, to openly be able to share my experiences in a transparent way. We obviously can't begin to imagine how you're feeling. I'm sure it's mentally exhausting and I applaud you for, you know, waking up each day and getting through it and doing your best. That's really all I can do, right? Um, But at the same time, I want to be true to myself. Because of the times that we're in, it is important for any Black person to show up as themselves, you know, if they're, if they're comfortable with themselves, you know, and I think that's a question that we individually have to ask ourselves, right? You know, are we comfortable with, you know, how we show up in the past few years? I've, you know, really been able to own my own personal truth. So now that I'm in this season, right, in this place, in this, you know, on this 21st day of, of protesting, um, I'm able to completely lean into my whole truth as wife, a mother, and a marketer, right? So, and I'm comfortable with that, you know? I'm, I'm I'm simply comfortable with owning my truth. And if, you know, me sharing my truth makes someone else uncomfortable, that has nothing to do with me, really. Um, and, and I'm okay with that. One thing you said that stood out to me was the idea of this, once you say you're doing something, following up and getting that mm-hmm. feedback, do you feel that I'm you know, doing this the right way? Are we being inclusive? Are we being everything we can be? What kind of conversations do you think need to happen? Or what advice do you have for leaders who are putting out these statements or taking these pledges? Um, How can they include more people in the dialogue and be sure that this feedback loop is continuous and it doesn't stop with a statement? Yeah, I think one thing is to make sure that you've addressed this internally. 
Um, and we've seen a lot yeah. of brands deal with um, some responses from their employees when they put out a response, but they haven't addressed anything internally. Um, so I am a believer right. of, you know, start with your internal stakeholders first, right? Like your your greatest assets, which are your employees. So making sure that they're okay, you know, how have you talked to them? You yeah. know, have you addressed the situation internally? How do they feel about the way you've addressed it? Have you actually have one-on-one conversations mm-hmm. with your Black associates? If, if you encourage other leaders to have one-on-one conversations? So I would say that is the most important thing before you put out any statement to make yeah. sure that it's being addressed within your within the walls of your organization. I think it also just kind of goes back to something we were saying about this being ongoing. I mm. think the one big takeaway from this movement is, you know, how can we keep the momentum going? Like, you know, I've, I've protested, I've donated now what, like, this is an ongoing thing and implanting those people into the core of your business and having them be a part of every conversation and every meeting and being there for the long run. I think it it needs to continue. You can't just stop with getting advice from one person. Like it needs to be part of the values of the company. Even to kind of take it a step further, companies that have seen success with diversity and inclusion in general, they've made it a part of their goal. So perhaps that is something that all companies need to explore. I was actually at a conference a few years ago, um, it was a black woman's conference. Um, one of the panels that I attended, a woman who led um, talent acquisition in the financial space, she challenged her team to find diverse talent for every position, even though it is hedge fund and there's not a lot of diversity in that space. Yeah. But she said, you know what? You have to look in other places. You can't go to the same used to right. love because we know that they're out there. Exactly. We know that, you know, they can be found, you know. Um, and she challenged them to really find diverse candidates. And what they found through that is that when they brought in diverse candidates, oftentimes they had more experience and they were more qualified than a typical white mm-hmm. person. Um, and I can see that happening because mm-hmm. when I think about my own um, peer group, you know, there's a lot of people who have MBAs or they've done this or they've done that. They've done so much to be qualified. And oftentimes they're still not seen as qualified for a number of different reasons. Right. Um, but a lot of times it does go back to the color of their skin, you know, or, you know, it's this cultural fit thing mm-hmm. that a lot of times you have to deal with where, yeah. you know, I've received that feedback before. Oh yeah, they really liked you. But it, they just didn't think it would be a fit. You know, there was nothing, you know, I've gone on interviews where that was literally the feedback that came back. There was no really, no real solid reason why I didn't get the job. It was. That's absolutely absurd. Yeah. Like I've, I've received, you know, it's all about fit and, you know, they didn't really see you as a fit for that team. But, you know, there's probably another opportunity that we'll find for you or something. So that's a lot of times the things that you hear um, mm-hmm. a lot of companies and, you know, what does fit actually mean? Right. As, as you're growing a team, you really want to have a diverse team. You want well, of course. who actually don't fit a little bit, right? Because right. that will be the people who will push them all and make exactly. help you see things differently. Um, but 
you know, I think this is a time for organizations to really look at themselves and see, you know what, are you ready for that? You know, are, are the people that you have within your organization, are they ready for that? You spoke about this woman challenging her team to think differently and to push and do the extra work to make sure you're being diverse and inclusive. And we know that you presented your team with a challenge to, um, we spoke before this interview about the 2060-20 rule of change. Can you explain this to our listeners and tell us how you're challenging your team to think about how they're approaching this movement? Yeah. So um, so the 2060 rule is something I actually heard from a friend. She's a Babson College professor. Um, her name is Dr. Tina Opie. And she recently shared us in a group. And so when you're you know, trying to change a group, so when we think about this discussion around racism, right? So as we're trying to change people's mindsets and share as it relates to, you know, what we're experiencing today and the the journey for Black people at this moment in time, you know, as we're sharing 20% of the people, they're already there. They're, they already believe mm-hmm. that, you know, Black Lives Matter, they get it. They understand it. They're willing to share and tell others. 60% of the people they might be, they're open. They're not really sure. They're kind of like in the middle, right? Like they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, I, I believe Black Lives Matter, but I'm, I just need to understand more. Oh, they're open to change. They, they realize that something isn't right and they're open to, mm-hmm. and then there's this bottom 20% and it's the people who don't believe in the change. They don't see anything as being wrong. That's the people who, when they see the videos of black men being murdered, the only thing that they can think of is that they didn't comply. And so, you know, when we think about that breakdown, you know, and you, you kind of do the basic math, you know, 80%, that's our opportunity, right? Um, and, and you can win with the 80%, you know, with anything, you can't change everyone. You can't change everybody's mindsets, but you can hope for the best and, you know, yeah. win with the 80. Um, and one of the things that I've also recently shared is for people to kind of think about where do you want to fall within that 20, 60, 20, you know, think about where do you, where do you fall today, but where do you want to fall? And when we think about, you know, allies and allyship, it goes beyond us. It's teaching your children how to be an ally. Yeah, definitely. That's crucial. You know, that's so important. Do you believe that brands or corporations can be an ally? So I think that brands can lead. They can lead the discussions, right? And what I mean is that by putting their dollars in the right place, they can support different organizations and groups that would allow them to do more. But I also feel that brands can also break through. You know, when we think about the history of just pop culture, a lot of times that's driven through brands, right? That's driven through brands, it's driven through artists, um, through you know, mm-hmm. entertainment, yeah. um, through writers, through poets, through painters, right. you know? So that's where I feel that brands can really play. I also think that it's important for brands to internally create a space where um, their employees can facilitate um, conversations and have discussions about race um, and culture and what that looks like. So I do feel that brands can be allies. They can be leaders. And when we think about even like some of the leading brands, a lot of times smaller brands look to the larger brands to kind of see, you know, yeah. okay, 
you know, so-and-so is doing this, maybe we should think about saying something or we should think about, you know, what this will look like for us. So I definitely think that brands play a role in it because brands are always a part of the culture to some degree and how we think, right? Like, you know, it's brands that, you know, hold the dollars for every commercial that we see. So, you know, in that same way, I do feel that brands can address racism and they can be a leader when it comes to allies. But again, they need to ensure that that's happening within the walls of their organization. Because if they don't, it will fall flat. Absolutely. And it's so clear when it does fall flat. Which we're seeing. I mean, you see, right now. you see all of those Instagram posts from Blackout Tuesday or brands showing their commitment across Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, whatever it is, that don't have the internal makeup to even be a true ally in yeah. the first place and aren't listening to those conversations. They're just doing it for the perception of it all. Yeah, it's frustrating, but you know what? Um, because we're in this time in history where there is social media and pretty much everyone has a platform, everyone has a voice, right? Um, no matter if you have five followers, 5,000 or 500,000, you have a voice, you have a platform. And I actually saw a local um, grocery store recently um, post, they, you know, had a had a Black Lives Matter message that they posted. And the first response under that post is, how do you care about Black lives when you don't even have locations in Black communities? I mean, I don't know how, you know, that organization handled that internally. You know, do they have a plan to open more locations in Black neighborhoods? Because I think that's also a part of what the message is. I think it's important to say, you know, we stand for racial equality, you know, um, but this is what we plan to do. We plan to donate this much of money to XYZ organization. We plan to open more locations in blah, blah, blah communities. Um, so I, I think it's, that's why it's important to be fully transparent. Like, yes, we haven't gotten it right, but this is how we intend to get it right in the day ahead. Mm-hmm. Because for yeah. the first time, I do feel that brands, they kind of get a clean slate in a, a little bit. It's like, okay, so you haven't done anything for the decades of keeping in business. But as of today, now is your chance. Right. Because you know, you know, because you are now aware, because you are no longer ignorant, you know, you can make it right. So I think this that this is the the great time that we're in. And when I say ignorant, you know, ignorance is just not knowing. So because you do not know, right. whether you did not know because you were unaware, what you, you did not know because maybe you didn't care or maybe you felt that nobody else cared. Um, but now everybody cares, right? Like everybody's standing up for what yeah. is right. And I appreciate, you know, um, brands exposing people who are not right as well. You know, I think that, um, there was another CEO of another company when he shared, you know, Black Lives Matter, he started to share the responses that he started getting in his inbox from, you know, in, from customers saying, oh, because you support Black Lives Matter, I will never give you any of my money again. And he's like, you know what? I don't need your money. I don't want. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great example of a brand being an ally. Like he is a white man saying that I'm not I'm not with this. You know, I'm not going to stand for this. And if this is what you want to say, if this is what you believe, um, you know what? I don't want you as a customer. Right. Going off that idea of 
ignorance, one quote that I keep seeing in my social feeds is normalize changing your mind or your position when presented with new information. I think a lot of people in that 60% that you talk about feel like they, you know, this is how they are, but it needs to be more normal to change your mind and stand up and say, I did feel this way and I am changing now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This, this gives you an opportunity to change, you know, if you desire to change. And it, again, it's really about, you know, the legacy, right? What do you want to be known for? What do you yeah, want to be known yeah. for? You know, what do you want people to say about you when you're not in the room? So the way we normally end the episode is sharing a social media account we think our listeners should be following. But what I'd love to hear from you is if there's a few accounts you'd like to share with us related to Black Lives Matter. Yeah, so I would say some of the people that I follow, and I follow these folks for different reasons. So one is Ebony K. Williams. She is a lawyer by profession. And I think it's always important to kind of understand the legal side of things. Yeah. Um, Especially as you see these videos of Black men being murdered. Um what the law is and also how how broken the law is. A lot of times she does a great job of really breaking that down. So I love the context that she provides there. Um, I think Angela Rye is amazing um, because she oftentimes provides a lot of insights and she's been doing the work at the ground level for a long time. So she's also someone that I would say to follow. And another person is actually someone that I recently found out about through COVID because he's a a New York Times um, journalist and his name is Charles Blow. Um, And I appreciate all the research that he has and the Mm -hmm. numbers that he brings. Um, And I I find, you know, his approach to storytelling to be so factual because I think it's important to, as we're sharing stories, as we're, you know, having discussions, to share the numbers, to share facts to share the reality, you know, I think it's important to continue to look at those numbers and to, you know, continue to look at the issues, the system issues, the systemic issues that we face um, in America in terms of just how everything is set up and how it's really set up against people of color and and Black people specifically. Um, it's, it's really set up for us to fail. It's set up for us to continue to be behind and we have to continuously fight, fight, fight to get a seat at the table. Um, and then once we get a seat at the table, we have to fight, fight, fight to even have influence at that table. And have your voice Um, heard. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Thank you for sharing those. Well, as since we are so lucky to have you on the show and as you said, up top, um, the importance of sharing your truth, we are grateful that you were able to share it with all of our listeners today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. All the social ladies, all the social ladies, all the social ladies, all the social ladies.